Welcome to the Prospering Soul Podcast. This limited series is all about how to take care of your soul and how to make sure you understand the ways to be healthy and balanced in life. In this series, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, sits down to explain one of the most important secrets of his own spiritual growth and a detailed explanation of how people change. Thanks for joining us again for our Prospering Soul podcast. If you've been with us through the series, you know that we began talking about what is a prospering soul, um, what influences you is the second session that we had. The third one is, have you heard of the divine process? From a thought uh, to influence your mind, your will, and emotions. Uh, We talked about, do you know the enemies of your soul? And um, the last podcast was about the environments that are dangerous for your soul. So having walked through that uh, foundational teaching on the soul and what it means to have a prospering soul and soul care, uh, we're now dealing with the real battlefields. And this one is about how to win the battle of the mind. It occurred to me the other day that I I probably learned these principles almost 35 years ago now. Um, 35 years ago, my wife and I were dealing with uh, depression in her life and uh, unawareness in mine and how to deal with that. And so that really brought us to the place of praying and asking God for help, but also looking at the scriptures. And uh, as we looked at the scriptures, we saw some principles about how we think, how we feel, how uh, we respond and behave. And, um, and it really changed the way we thought about life and the way we dealt with challenges in life. So really what we're talking about today is learned 35 years ago. It's been so helpful to me. And uh, the battlefield of the mind is a really, really big battle to win. So remember we started with 3 John 1, 2. It said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And we talked about the fact that that doesn't mean just be rich, but rather it makes, make, means make good progress. And I want you, the listener, to, to make good progress in your soul because basically... When your mind, will, and emotions, when your soul is healthy, the rest of your life is going to be healthy as well because you're thinking the right things and you're feeling the right things and your will is focused on the right things. You know, the Bible says that the Spirit always leads us. We talked about that earlier. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the Spirit of God always leads us day by day, moment by moment. And uh, as He leads us, we have the opportunity to respond in a correct way. And we talked about the soul being the middleman in that process. So the Spirit leads, but God does not lead us without going through our mind, our will, and emotions, our soul. And what we learned is that when we come into alignment or agreement with truth, with the right things that we're supposed to believe because of what the Bible says and because of what we know to be facts in life, and we come into alignment with that with our mind, our will and emotions will follow through. Uh, I can tell when someone is not thinking well, when they don't have strong mental health, when they're not following the facts, one of two things are happening. First of all, either they're not being led of the Spirit, which means they may not be born again. They may have never come under the subjection to Christ. You may have never given your life to Christ. If that's the case, you really don't have anything to stand on. Uh, you really don't have any absolute truth to believe in. If you don't believe in Christ and the Scriptures, then, then everything's up for grabs. We live in a very relativistic world, getting more relativistic uh, by the day. I mean, how many genders have been identified? Uh, probably 60 or 70 or more genders because everybody kind of has their own truth. 
So if, if you're not operating on facts or biblical truth, you probably have never been born again. Um, or you have come to faith in Christ, but you haven't surrendered yourself, come into alignment with the, the truth of the Scripture and the truth of how the Spirit leads us. So when we don't come into alignment, it's just like being in a, a new hotel room and you open up your computer and you can't get on the internet because you're not in alignment with the Wi-Fi. You have to, you have to find the protocols. You have to get in alignment with that Wi-Fi in order to download anything in the way of information. So when your mind and your will and emotions come into agreement with the leadership of the Spirit of God or the truth of Scripture, then you will end up obeying God. You'll end up doing the right thing. Instead of arguing and disagreeing with God, you'll do the right thing. Now, the weapons we use in dealing with this process um, of the prospering so is something I'm going to touch on today in these next few moments. Uh, first of all, I want us to focus tonight on one in particular, and that is the Scriptures, the Word of God. Now, I know there are people listening to me uh, in this podcast that may not be people who embrace the whole of Scripture. Uh, you may not embrace the Bible uh, the way I do. Uh, and I understand that. I understand people are in various places of trying to, to determine what they're going to believe. But here's a key truth for walking in the truth and for walking in facts is that you, you do have to focus on the source of facts. I'm going to quote Jordan Peterson from time to time. Jordan, Jordan Peterson is a great philosopher, uh, a logical thinker, a great speaker uh, who really um, rails against the current trend of wandering away from truth. And eventually, Jordan Peterson uh, defined what he believed the Bible to be, and he said it's, it's more than just the truth. It's the source of all truth. Now, here is a, a secular, somewhat agnostic um, man who is searching the world over to find out how do people behave well? How do they think with truth? In an age where everything is running off with people's minds, where is truth? And he found it in the Bible, the Word of God, the Old Testament in, in, in particular, by his testimony. And now he proclaims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So I know there are some that are coming from different angles here. Some of you have been brought up in the church and you believe in the Bible. But I'm just going to tell you today that the, the Bible, the Word of God, has been spoken to us by the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside of every one of us who are born again, leads us, He'll always lead us in sync with the Word of God. Now, the Spirit of God leads us, or the truth leads us, it goes through our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and that turns out to be the way we respond, the way we behave. Now, we know the Spirit of God always leads us right. He never leads wrong. He never leads us to sin, and yet somehow we still sin, don't we? He never leads us to be uh, ornery, or He never leads us to be stubborn, and yet we still uh, are sometimes stubborn. Uh, sometimes we just do that. So the key is not just knowing what the Spirit leads us to do, just knowing it won't do it alone. The key is getting the soul in line so that it will agree all the way across and equal uh, a response. And when we deal with the mind, will, and emotions, we have to have them in order, in that order, for a particular reason. Everything that goes through your soul must first go through your mind. So let's look at that battlefield number one, the mind. Uh, it makes sense to me that if the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our lives, and if confusion in general wants to take over, it's going to take over at that place. It's going to take over with our thought life. And so you have a battlefield and it's your thought life. And your weapon in this object of conflict is the Bible, the Word of God, the truth. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 is a verse I brought up earlier, and it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Speaking about believers, Paul was telling a church in Corinth, which was a church uh, in an age very much like ours today in 21st century America. They all were trying to define their own truth. But Paul said, as a believer, you have the mind of Christ, a very distinct idea. We have the mind of Christ. Do you believe the Bible is true when it says that? Sometimes it's kind of amazing to think that, but it doesn't mean we have the literal brain of Christ, but, it, but rather the head of the body. Jesus Christ leads us and gives us the things we should think about and gives us the things that we should be being led to do. And in that sense, we have the mind of Christ. In uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, great principle here. Many believers know this verse. If you don't know this verse, listen carefully to what it says. It says, I, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. I catch this here. Don't be conformed to this world, talking about the mind, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So much I could say about this, but one thing I will say is it's all on the mind. It's all a focus on the mind. Secondly, that we have to renew our mind from its natural state, being influenced so much by culture in the world. And third, once we do that, we prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, we will live it out. This should be one of the most important verses of your life. And many of you have it memorized, but this verse promises that when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, we will eventually live out or act out the truth. And that's where you want to be. So the mind is the first battlefield. And when I talk with people who say they have emotional challenges or emotional problems or they're challenged in their mental health, I first ask them this question, where is your mind dwelling? Because emotional problems or mental problems are the direct result of thoughts in the mind. And filtering through those things in the will and finally in your emotions. And the key to transforming your emotional life is to transform your thought life. The key to changing your will is to change your thought life. So the soul's entrance and what, what affects you as a human being begins in the mind. So it's appropriate we're talking about mental health today, and it's appropriate we're talking about the seesaw battles of our emotions and, um, and the panic sometimes, the anxiety that people have today. It all starts in the mind, and it's such a huge thing. So that's really important that you know that the, the mind is the way to change everything. And I'm going to prove to you uh, in, uh, in kind of a light way that I can manipulate your emotions and your will by simply presenting a set of facts to you. Now, years ago, there was this uh, advertisement, and there was a sweepstakes that was pretty common. It was called the uh, Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. And uh, that was a sweepstakes where uh, people were, it was kind of like a, uh, a nationwide kind of uh, a contest, and your name was entered in, and someone's name would be drawn, and that person whose name was drawn won a large amount of money. And the way they informed people was simply that they would just arrive at the house one day with a team of people in a van that said Publishers Clearing House Sweepstakes. And they would knock on the front door, and these were in television commercials. So I remember seeing somebody knock on the front door in this commercial, and the door opened, and they, 
they said in a very real video, you've just won a million dollars. And of course, people go absolutely crazy. They jump up and down. At first, it's disbelief. And then, then after that, it's just going wild, of course. And if I told you that uh, you won a million dollars, you would, you would do the same thing. So if I knocked on your door and, uh, and, and you don't know me and you open the door and I say, I want you to come with me someplace. Well, you may have some doubts. In the first place, you don't know me. Second place, you don't know where I'm taking you. Uh, in third place, you had to get to work that day, and, and, and so you're dead set against it. But let me just change one factor in that story. Suppose I knock on your door tomorrow at 6.30 a.m., and you don't know me, but I tell you that you've just won a million dollars in the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. All of a sudden, everything changes. That one fact changes everything about the way you feel and about your willingness to go with me to claim that million-dollar sweepstake. You forgot you had a job. You forgot you were only half-dressed. You forgot your hair wasn't made up. Why? Because you were willing to go when one factor in your thought life changed. And the same is true of emotions. So, let's just say I knocked on your door and told you that you had won $10 million in the sweepstakes, and you start jumping up and down, and you're fired up, your emotions are going wild, and then I say, not really, April Fool's. And all of a sudden, you're angry. Your emotions changed in just a moment. Why? Because of the one thing that entered your thought life. So I know that's a little bit of a dated illustration, but if you put that on a grander scale, I assure you the process is exactly the same. The key to changing your emotions is to change your thought life. The key to changing the way you feel is to change the way you think. So instead of people walking around led by emotions and led by culture and led by some inner feeling that they may have about one thing or another, we can actually be led by mind that is focused on the truth. Now, that's what the Christian life is all about. I assure you that if you don't change your thought life, your emotional life will never change. It'll never change. You'll always be on the same uh, journey emotionally or mentally. You'll always have the same fears. You'll always have the same thing that makes you angry You'll always have the ups and downs and the imbalances of life. You'll always be like a, like a pendulum going to the right and left if you don't master your thought life. So if you don't master your thought life, your will will never change. And the first battlefield is the mind. Now, I want to keep in mind with you that there is a lag time that requires time for you to let your thought life be transformed, be renewed, if you will, and then the emotions and the will will fall into line with that. It's not immediate, but it's real. It's definitely real. So in order to understand something about um, how the mind works, we're going to look at the process of a thought. So we're going to break this down to even more detail, more detail than the mind, will, and emotions. We're going to actually dive into the mind for just a moment and talk about the process of a thought. This is very biblical, and I'm going to show you some verses in a moment. But let me just give you some illustrations about it first. First of all, there's the seed of that thought, S-E-E-D, a seed. And I want to characterize this as the sowing part. You sow a seed. Something will trigger a thought. Usually it's visual. Sometimes it's something you read or hear, uh, but that thought takes place. Secondly, there's a nourishment. There's something that nourishes that thought. You dwell on it. You focus on it. And uh, it might be a picture you see, it might be a sound you hear that creates a certain emotion, it might be uh, a chemical that you uh, long for or want. Um, and so you begin to nourish that, begin to think about it. it, could be a sexual desire, and you focus on that. 
And when you begin to put that in the context of beginning to think on it and dwell on it, I call that the watering process or the nourishing process. And the Bible actually calls it that too. A seed is sown, and then it's nourished or water. And lastly, the process of that ends with the increase. I would call this the reaping process. If you allow a seed of a certain kind to come into your mind and you nourish it, you're going to reap something. It's very simple. Now, look with me at the scripture, and I'm going to read a very brief verse, and let's notice what the Bible says about the gospel seed, that is, learning about Jesus Christ dying on a cross and doing that to pay for our sins. And the Apostle Paul is using uh, this terminology to describe that seed that Jesus actually calls the seed in another part of the Bible. And Paul says it like this. He says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, that's just a simple way of saying the seed of the gospel, the seed of truth was planted in a person. Someone else came along and watered that, nourished it, uh, gave evidence of it in his life, talked about it, let you think about it, but God gave the increase. So that, in, in the respect of the gospel context, is exactly how a person comes to faith in Jesus. The seed of the word is planted in your life, and, uh, and then it's nourished, and then it gives forth increase. So Jesus did a great job of doing that when he talked about the parable of the soils. Maybe you know about that. The seed is sown, and the seed that's sown on the good soil later comes up in manifold ways and produces fruit. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increases the way Paul said it. Now I want you to know that the process of sin is exactly the same as the process of a thought. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You see this all the way through the Bible, by the way. It says in Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was the temptation, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate all the way knowing that God's command had it that she shouldn't touch it. She knew in her mind she shouldn't touch that tree, but the serpent said, look at it. It looks great. I want you to think about it. And she did. And as she began to let that dwell in her mind, then she ate of it in sin. So if you break that down, it's very, very plain. It was pleasant to the eyes. That would be the seed. She saw it. She was able to apprehend it. She knew what it was. It came to her consciousness. The Bible says a tree desirable to make one wise. She desired it. She wanted it with her will. And she began to nourish that and water it. Um, and then she wanted it. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave it to her husband with her. And he ate. And what they get? They got death. That's the process of sin. Later on in the book of uh, James, later on in the, the latter part of the Bible, James says sin works like this. He said, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So the same process of a thought that I described to you a moment ago is described as the way the gospel gets into a heart. It's described as the way sin and disobedience gets into a heart. Your mind first, then your will and emotions. That process is just over and over in Scripture. One more verse here. And this one is going gonna, gonna to rock your world just a little bit. Here's what it says in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see the process? Do you understand it? Are you grasping with your mind your thought life? 
begins right here. Secondly, something nourishes the thought. And third, there's increase. It'll always come. You may think that you can nourish a thought or think about something that you shouldn't be thinking about and get away with it and not have the increase of it happen to you. But that's not true. You'll always reap what you sow. Now, don't forget, Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And the reason it says it like that is because God has wired us in such a way that our mind leads the way and then our will and emotions follow it. You can't tinker with that process. You can't change it or bypass it. And you can't cheat yourself out of getting what you will fully well deserve if you go through the process of allowing your thought life to go dark. If you allow your thought life to be seated with things that are wrong and begin nourishing that, it will increase in your life in a terrible way. And that'll end up being in behavior. So the process of a thought is broken down right here. We need to understand that you can't do anything about the increase. If you do the first two things, if you have a thought and nourish it, you're going to get the increase in some way. It's kind of like uh, what I heard years ago. You can choose what you're going to do, but you can't choose the consequences. And that's really what happens with your thought life. You can choose what to think about, but you can't choose the consequences. They're going to happen. And when thoughts are bad, when they're not based on truth, when they are based on error or deception or they're based on feelings and emotions, you're going to receive the consequences of that in your life one way or another. So there's something we can deal with in this process. And the one thing you can deal with and control is your thought life. You can control the seed. And when you control the seed and control the nourishment, you can control the result of that. In one sense, we can control what we get in life by controlling these two things. So all I've done is introduce this subject to get to this point, controlling your thoughts. This is the war. You win the war, you'll learn to walk in obedience to God. You'll learn to walk in a way that you're glad to have the results of it. But if you lose this war, you'll be forever trapped into cycles of disobedience or cycles of emotional pendulum back and forth, up and down. And I don't care how long you have put your faith in Jesus. I don't care how many years ago it's been. You're still going to be trapped in disobedience if you don't learn to win this war with the mind. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and don't embrace the Bible as truth, you have no hope of really being able to have an anchor for your soul. Because by very definition, relativism is no anchor, no absolute truth. Now the Bible says in the Old Testament, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And it's true all the way through scriptures. So don't try to circumvent it. You can't really circumvent it. What you can do is learn to control your thoughts. The mind is for thinking. Think. Think clearly. Think factually. Think logically. Don't let your emotions, don't let your will take over that thought line. And don't let the culture do it for crying out loud. One of my friends frequently says this. He says, you know, part of the problem of people who follow Jesus today is that they're discipled more by social media than they are by truth. And in part, I believe it. We see some quip, we look for some cute saying, we look for some narrative that people are creating, and we begin to believe that instead of really believing the truth of the scripture, and all of a sudden we're in deep, deep trouble. That's just the way it seems to be today. So let's go back and talk about how we control our thought life. Let me remind you, first of all, you can control the seed sown. Now, I can't control the fact that seed will be sown. But I can control the kind of fact, the, the, the fact of what kind of seed it is. 
Yeah, I like to take care of my yard, and, and I like to uh, make sure the grass is strong. And if I go and get a box of Bermuda seed, and I plant it in my yard, guess what kind of grass I'm going to have? I'm going to have Bermuda grass. But if I just get a box of random seed, I'm going to have not a pure uh, yard of grass. My wife has uh, this uh, affection for birds and squirrels, and so we feed bird seed uh, in these feeders outside our yard. And usually those bird uh, feeders are raided by the squirrels. When the squirrels raid it, well, all seed flies out all over the place uh, on the yard. And bird seed, in case you didn't know it, often includes a lot of grass seed. So I'll go out in my yard after a period of time, and all my perfectly uh, cut and, uh, and pure grass is going to be corrupted by all this seed that starts growing up in between my pure grass. So I have to get to the source and remove the seed, right? So the same is true in your, in your life. Your mind is a battlefield. All kinds of seed is being put in there. But when you can control the seed... You're going to control the outcome, the increase, and that's what you want. So the battlefield is your mind. The object of conflict is your thought life. The weapon is the scriptural truth, the word of God. Here's a couple of reminders. Psalm 119, 140 says, Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. And then Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. That's the kind of seed you want in your mind. That's the kind of seed that you want in your mind, pure seed. If you want your thought life to be controlled by the Spirit of God, then plant seed that comes from the Spirit of God. Simple enough? If you want to have the mind of Christ, sow the seed that comes from the Spirit of Christ. Just sow the seed of the Word of God. That's why I really encourage people to stay in the Bible. Read the Bible on a regular basis. By the same token, if we see our, sow our, seed, our minds with the Word of God, and yet, let other seeds be sown at the same time. Our mind is going to be filled not only with good things, but also bad things. There is a verse that I'm going to spend a whole uh, session talking about later, but I want to spend just a moment on it right now. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Listen carefully to this verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And catch this last line here. We are bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now the kind of battle we're talking about for your mind has a weapon. And the weapon is the word of God. And I'll explain this in more detail later on. But it's like captivating at the point of a spear every wrong thought. Bringing every thought into captivity to truth. Now... I want you to catch a little word that's in the middle of that verse, and it's the word all. The scripture does not command us to bring some of the thoughts into captivity. It doesn't say a few of the thoughts. It doesn't say you might manage to keep a few bad thoughts out. It says taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, every single one. Now that sounds pretty demanding, but if you want a mind that's controlled by truth, you're going to have to learn to refuse the planting of bad seed by taking thoughts captive. If you want your will and emotions to be balanced, they need to be based on truth. You know what your thought life is like. I don't. You know the areas in which you struggle. I don't. You know where you need to have self-control, the areas in which your mind takes you off into places you don't really want to go in the long run. I have known 
believers who have struggled through some of the most violent, evil thoughts that you can possibly imagine, seemingly just placed in their minds without any known exposure to those kinds of things, and they're dominated by those thoughts, they have had to learn to take them captive. Even though they didn't cultivate them, they may have been cultivated long ago when they were younger. They may have seen something, heard something, had something happen to them. The same is true of sexual thoughts. I know many who sincerely want to be free of lust and the pornography that feeds that. They want to be free of, of this, uh, the fantasies that they, they conjure up and can't seem to get out of their mind. They may want to be free of desires that they know are wrong. And what they've had to do is get back to the place of the battle and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I think we often are in the midst of spiritual warfare and don't know it. And sometimes fiery darts of the evil one are shot towards us. Or sometimes culture just is so pervasive that it plants thoughts in our mind. We see something on media. We see something on the Internet. Someone says something. Quite frankly, the enemy uses all of that to capture our thoughts. But we are able to take every thought captive. So how do you do this? Um, let me just use an illustration out of my own life. And that has to do with anger. Anger used to be paramount in my life. It was a controlling power in my life. When I was 19, 20 years old, I struggled with it so badly. I was angry at God, angry at others. I didn't know how to deal with it, but I knew if God's word was true and powerful, then it ought to be able to help me with my anger problem. Now, my anger was eruptive. It, it means that, um, that means simply that I, I could see my anger moving in like a, like a fog rolling in over the landscape. I just couldn't stop it. And I would get angry at people normally because I was mad at God and mad at circumstances, but I would get mad at people. Uh, sometimes because they rejected me, sometimes because of my own poor performance in one thing or another, disappointed with things, I would just get angry. And I would use my fist. I would hit doors. I would hit um, walls. I would hit my car steering wheel. I, I don't know how many uh, rearview mirrors I knocked off the windshield. I don't know how many dents I put in dashboards. Um, and I actually was quite frightening to some of the people around me in college. I remember my freshman roommate uh, when I was in college really wanted to not room with me anymore because of that anger. But I had some good influences in my life, and part of that and good influence was a couple of guys that, uh, that showed me what the Bible said about anger. So I did what I was told to do. I began to memorize scripture that dealt with anger and began to meditate on those verses. And whenever I sensed anger was beginning to take place, I would recall the truth of the Bible and quote it and began to meditate on it. Now that may sound silly to you, but I'm not an angry man today because of that strategy. And I didn't really know why it was happening and why it was successful, but now I know. I changed the way I was thinking, and it affected my will and emotions. I stopped thinking about my anger and started thinking about the truth of God's Word, that I could trust Him, that He could help me, and that I didn't have to give uh, action to that anger. And as I began to do that, over a very short period of time, I began to overcome that anger. I would realize what was happening. I would pray a quick prayer. I would replace the thought that I was having with thoughts of God from Scripture. And it didn't happen overnight, but over a period of time, my thinking began to be reprogrammed or renewed. And at one point, what was a huge weakness in my life became a strong area in the sense of being able to control my emotions. Why? 
because the Word of God was capable of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's just the power of God's Word. Now, if you don't believe it, you need to live it and try it before you discount it. That's why Paul says that we, don't have, that we do not have weapons that are carnal or fleshly, but we have weapons that are spiritual. I like his wording. He says, they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They were taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And whatever area you struggle in in your life, begin to apply the word of God. Memorize it. Meditate it. Begin to allow those thoughts to be replaced with thoughts uh, that are truth thoughts. Rather than angry thoughts, lustful thoughts, bitter thoughts, unforgiving thoughts, whatever they may be. Replace them with truth and God will begin to show you victory over that area. So we must control the seed and not allow the seed to be sown that we don't want in our minds. So control the seed. Secondly, learn to nourish only what you want to reap. I'm going to be very real with you. I know you live in a world and work in places and you have friends that are not necessarily surrounding yourself by spirit-filled, born-again Christians who just speak and breathe the Bible. I know that. It almost sounds ridiculous for me to say this because we don't just live in those worlds. It's just not like that anymore. And there are people probably you deal with in your family that are not necessarily the most wonderful people in the world. I know when you get out on the highway, you're surrounded in rush hour traffic by people that are not necessarily peaceful in their attitudes. You may work in a place that's not surrounded with people that say good things and do good things. You live in a world filled with stuff that's designed to grab your thoughts. Have you seen the ads around you? They're alluring advertisements that will just try to appeal to your thought life, your desires, your emotions. If you watch TV lately, if you watch some of the shows that are out there, it's incredible what's out there. So you live in a world where you're filled with temptations to dwell on thoughts that are made up of bad seed. It's all bad seed. It's all weeds, it seems. Since it's inevitable that we will be exposed to some of the world, we can minimize it greatly and need to learn to nourish only what we want to reap and not water that thought, not encourage that thought. At some point, you're going to hear a word or see a picture or see an attitude that doesn't build you up, doesn't give you soul health. At that point, you need to nourish only what you want to reap. Don't encourage the untrue thought. Don't encourage the, the wrong feeling or the wrong desire. Don't allow it to grow. So here's the source of nourishment. Nourishment comes from the senses. That's how the thought begins, and then this is how we begin to nourish it. We see, hear, smell, or touch, or taste something. And the Bible gives us a clue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It says, bad company corrupts good morals, and that's what it really means. It means you can be so surrounded by an environment that keeps you thinking about that environment that it literally corrupts your mind. So we have to nourish only what we want to think and what we want to reap. Uh, if you're hanging out with critical people, you're going to be that. If you're hanging out with hateful people, hanging out with sexual people, if you're hanging out with wicked people, that's what you're going to be. So it's really important for you to take all these things into consideration in order to have a mind, a will, and emotions that are operating the way they ought to operate. You know, I've got a friend over the, a few years ago who, um, who walked through a really uh, unusual time. This has really happened several times with several people I've counseled with and people that I've known. But uh, this friend began to have deviant sexual thoughts. And uh, instead of battling that, he began to nourish that, unaware of what he was doing. 
He began to look for that in articles, magazines. He began to look for that on the Internet. And, of course, you can find anything you want to see, anything you want to think about. But after a while, that wasn't enough. And before long, he had to act on it. And when he began to act on it, it just began to unravel all he had worked for in his life. That's just a common story, actually. It's happened to so many different people. When people fall morally, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And it happens because they don't take every thought captive and they allow those wicked thoughts, those wrong thoughts to be nourished or watered. And then later on, it gives forth increase and they can't choose that consequence because they didn't stop the process when it was a thought. That's how it works. And friend, it's a battle. And I say all this to say to you, don't play mind games. You have a soul and a spiritual life, and you're trying to protect it. Don't expose yourself to the kind of seed that sows filth in your life. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated by thoughts and images of the enemy. When you know you can control what you see, and you can control what you think about, you can control what you nourish, so do it. One of the most serious things you and I can do is come to grips with our thought life. And be able to say, you know, I've given my life to Jesus. I need to give my mind to Jesus too. God knows my every thought, so I want to please the Lord. I'm going to have to give him my thought life in order for me to have the same kind of will and emotions that truth calls me to have. And I need to let my thought life be invaded by the Spirit of God. So let me bring it home to you real quick as I close this out. What you are and what you think about when you're by yourself, that's who you are. I'm going to say that again. What you are and what you think about when you're by yourself, that's who you are. And sometimes it doesn't paint a pretty picture at all. What do you think about when you're all by yourself, when nobody's around you to disturb your thoughts, to disturb what you say or do? What do you think about? What do you watch? What do you want? What do you desire? When you're all by yourself, it's probably one of the most revealing times, but also one of the most dangerous times. Be accountable for how you spend your mind, uh, time, uh, what you think about, what kind of movies you watch, uh, what you allow yourself to watch on the Internet or see on the Internet. And do it with this in mind. Know that if you control your thought life, if you learn the process of the thought, the seed, the nourishment, the increase, if you learn to control the seed zone and nourish only what you want to reap, you're going to be transformed. You're going to prove the will of God. You're going to live it out. I've seen this principle proven in my life over and over. I've seen God take an angry young man and change him. I've seen a mind that I've had uh, totally lacking in self-control, pretty well tossed to and fro by winds and waves, and God has brought anchoring to it, discipline in the thought life, self-control that comes from understanding how important my thought life is. So, did you know that your mind affects your will and your emotions? Over these next few weeks, we're going to unfold how it affects your will and emotions. And I'm going to show you how your will can be changed and how your emotions can be changed and how you can be led by truth and not by culture and not by feelings and emotion. It's a journey that you want to be on. Thank you so much for joining us for The Prospering Soul. Catch our next podcast on a little time. Thank you.